Hello and welcome to Balagan, the podcast that will put things in order for a better understanding of Israeli politics. I am Kobe Cohen, a former political advisor and currently a political columnist and Israel educator. In many of my conversations with my American friends and family, I have noticed that Israeli politics is challenging to understand and quite blurry at times. So I'm here to explain how it works, who are the different players, and why the different players are acting the way they act. So if you're interested in getting what's happening in Israel, that's your place. My podcast will be thorough and brief, with many guests, giving you the best information about Israeli politics and society. It will deal with the structure of the political system in Israel, the different groups of interest, the players' history, along with analysis of what is happening today. I promise to be as objective as possible and guarantee it will always be interesting. So stay tuned. So welcome back to Balagan. And today I'm going to discuss about what's going on with the Israeli democracy. You know, the government's policy, the quarantine, and all of the policies that are being led in Israel are uh, bringing a lot of tension. Among Israelis, you can see it through the ongoing demonstrations, even throughout the quarantine. And my guest today is here to discuss it with me. My guest, Uri Zaki, is the founder of The Front and the chair of Meretz Executive Board. The Front for Protection of Democracy is a unique organization in the Israeli progressive landscape, which acts as an assertive attack dog against the new right and its anti-democratic infrastructure. via position research, media campaigns, and legal action. So welcome to Balagan, Uri. I'm really happy to have you here. Good to um, be here, Kobe. Thank you. Let's uh, start from the beginning. Where do you want us to start from? I think from my experience, uh, you know, I, I used to live in the States for almost four years, uh, between uh, 2010 and uh, 2014, uh, representing uh, B'Tselem. So I do know that for many Americans, our system... seems strange. It's very different than the American uh, system. So maybe I'll start with a few differences between the, how the Israel democracy works and how the American democracy yes. works, and then we'll see where they do come together, and that's with the threats on democracy, unfortunately, under two authoritative populistic <laughs> uh, leaders currently, and let's hope that by November 3rd, it will change, at least in the United States. At least States. in one state, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, Israel is a parliamentary democracy, meaning that we do not elect our leader of the uh, executive branch. The head of the executive branch is the prime minister. It's not the president. We do have a president, but the president has a symbolic role. He's not the actual leader of the country, although he is so according to his status, but he doesn't have any executive force, while the prime minister is the equivalent of the American president in many ways. Nonetheless, The Prime Minister is elected by the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli Parliament or Congress, if you wish. The Parliament itself, the Knesset, is being elected by the whole country in a relative system, meaning that the whole country is one electoral district. Right. So as Israelis, we do not vote for a congressman or a Knesset member. We vote for a list, for a party. That, and we don't have the system of the winner takes it all, obviously, because we're only one electoral district. That means... that uh, as a consequence, you have in average 10 to 12 parties represented in the Knesset. 
the way to become the prime minister is to get a majority of members of Knesset voting for you as the prime minister. We have 120 members of Knesset in Israel. So the magic number, the, the equivalent of... Uh, what's, the majority, what's, uh, the 60 plus one, 50% plus one. Yeah, 60 plus one. one. In, in, in the electoral college, it's 578. Oh, with the electoral, in the electoral it's, system, uh, it's uh, out of 538. So it's uh, 270 something. Yeah. So, so the equivalent in the Israeli Knesset, mind you, not electoral college, but the parliament, the Congress, the, the uh, parliamentary body is 61, a majority of 61. We also, of course, have, apart from the executive branch, which is uh, the government, as explained, and the legislative uh, branch, we also have the uh, judiciary, which, unlike the United States, our Supreme Court is not elected by the prime minister, but rather by a committee that has... Uh, kind of uh, checks and balances between different elements of the Israeli government. It's led by the Minister of Justice, the uh, equivalent of the uh, Attorney General. Well, partially equivalent. Yeah. It gets uh, harder and harder. But the Minister of Justice, <laughs> and then you have their representatives of the Knesset, of the coalition, of the government. And one, of also, the, one is supposed to be of the opposition. Uh, that the was the tradition. Right, right. And, and you also have uh, representatives of the judiciary itself, Uh, you have uh, two Supreme Court justices, and you have representatives of the uh, Israeli bar also represented there. So there is some kind of balance there. It's not yeah. like, and the nominations are not for life. One of the biggest problems, I think, in the American system. So judges would retire when they're 70 years old. So it's not like you elect a Supreme Court justice and that's for life. It doesn't work like that. So that's, in a nutshell, how the system works. We are now after, and I would say in the midst, of a huge constitutional crisis. I will go, now when I mention the word constitutional, let me go back one step backwards to my intro and explain that despite there is a constitutional crisis, Israel does not have a constitution. We do have a set of bills that were legislated throughout the years called the basic yeah, laws. The basic laws. But they are not a constitution. They can be uh, changed quite easily, not with a supermajority, with a regular majority, and they don't have the weight of a constitution right. for better and worse. So the system is much more flexible. Again, it has advantages, it has disadvantages, but that's the situation. So we are in the midst of a um, constitutional crisis that has a lot to do with the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister in the last 11 years, and the longest serving, by the way, prime minister in Israel's history, Uh, now around 14 years in power, if you add also his first term. His first term. 96 and 99. So he is starting in late 2018, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And last year with investigations ended with an indictment, a very severe indictment of uh, bribery, among other offenses. And starting this year, also face a trial. I mean, the indictment uh, led to a criminal trial yeah. supposed to start in a couple of months. So that's the crisis that's hovering over the whole system in the last couple of years. Of course, you add to that the fact that Netanyahu, from the beginning, much like Trump, never tried to be a consensual prime minister or consensual leader. He is very much basing his rule on his base. Right. I mean, he's not trying to reach out to the whole of the Israeli society, but rather to maximize the base, to energize the base, 
And whenever and he has natural friends or natural partners, you know, with right. the, he, has, he has a coalition. Yeah. Right. He has a coalition. And I'm sorry if I'm talking too much and you want to, I'm, no, I'm no. sorry. No, no. You're uh, great. So I let you speak. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when I really like hearing myself speak, so I, I do that too much. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. So he's basing his... Uh, uh, Whole agenda and, uh, and policies. And, 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 and basically his majority yeah. on a specific... coalition that is his own Likud party supporters, which are usually the more, um, I would say, the Mizrahi elements in Israel, the more, the, I would say, lower middle class in Israel, and so on and so forth. He has this alliance with the Haredi Jews, and he has this alliance with the settlers, the, the uh, religious uh, right-wing uh, and sometimes ultra-right-wing. That's basically his uh, coalition. But throughout his days in power, he never tried to reach out the whole of the country, creating a kind of, um, I would say, a barrier, the way he operates his uh, rule, alienating the rest of the country. I can give an example, for instance, sure. Ariel Sharon, who was one of his predecessors, was the lead, also the leader of the Likud, and before becoming a prime minister, one of the most notorious right-wing, very hated, I would even say, yes, definitely um, hated. figures in the Israeli political arena, when he became the prime minister, He took a different uh, strategy vis-a-vis the Israeli society, he tried to be the consensus of Israel, and he succeeded, and that's why he got also a lot of support. He had a different style of governing, despite the fact that before becoming a prime minister, he was more, I would say, divisive. When he became the prime minister, he tried to be a prime minister of consensus. It was very hard to work against him. With Netanyahu, it's the opposite. He's kind of, whoever is not with me, who's not part He's of my coalition, me. is a traitor, is a non-patriot, is uh, all these, you know, terrorist lover, you name it. It created this kind of situation where so many Israelis, at least 50% of Israelis, feel throughout his, even before the indictment, feeling that, you know, this guy hates us and therefore he cannot represent us and therefore we hate him. We can say that in a way, his biggest consultant was the late uh, Arthur Finkelstein. That's right. In 1995, he told him that he needs to go with one single question. What are you more? Are you a Jewish or an Israeli? That's right. And you can definitely see some sort of, you know, Netanyahu is holding to the Jews and putting the Israelis, you know, on the other side. That's Instead right. of trying to bring them closer together and bring and buy and build a bigger, um, oh my God, I forgot the word of Mechaneh Meshutaf. Common denominator. Co- yes, thank you. And he's been escalating, actually, ever since he saw that uh, those things work for Trump. I think that until 2016, he was a bit more moderate. He That's did right. have everything he said against the left-wingers and uh, the Arabs and... Uh, and and Rabin and, in, uh, oh. in the 90s, yeah. But it wasn't like in the last couple of years. And if Trump has its own, you know, Twitter account, I would say that Netanyahu is uh, letting his son speak for him and everybody else is retweeting it, uh, all of his uh, other supporters. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's, uh, there are many things that are similar with Netanyahu and Donald Trump. Uh, the main thing is, as I said, they're both basing their majority on uh, maximizing the base through incitement and divisiveness. The difference is that while Donald Trump is a populist, ignorant, childish person. Netanyahu is intelligent. He's a man of, who reads books. He's much more planned 
much less working on uh, according to his own uh, personal instincts. But nonetheless, that leads him to the same behavior. And I completely agree with you that Trump's style very much influenced Netanyahu. Although, again, he had some of these elements before and sometimes worse elements since the Not 90s, exactly. since he was, uh, you know, when he, he was the head of opposition to the Rabin, he, he was always inciting and, and this the strategy was always uh, the same. But his bluntness changed since Trump was elected and more so, and that's where I want to uh, reach now, since he was indicted or since the, the investigations uh, against him started. Because then, if in the past he managed some element of rules of the game, he went crazy since that started. And ever since then, all his political agenda and even his executive behavior or management is set to serve his own personal interest, basically not to end up in jail. Let's put it this way. And mind you, Israel, unlike the United States, is a country that his immediate predecessor, Ehud Olmert, served two years in jail for similar offenses. One of our presidents served many years in jail because of allegations of rape. We had ministers, which are equivalent to secretaries in the American federal system, serving uh, time in jail. So it's a very imminent threat. There's no need for impeachment. If you are eventually being found guilty in the uh, highest level of, of the judiciary, which is the Supreme Court in this case, you will serve time in jail for those offenses. So he's fighting for his own freedom. This is not something that we can take lightly. I mean, imagine the state of mind of someone who's been in power almost 14 years, you add it up, was always you know, in the top of the world, and he knows that he can very well end up in jail. That changes a person's uh, behavior. Now, unfortunately, in our constitutional basic law of the government basic law, the law states that a prime minister only has to step down once there is a final verdict in the appeal court level. That means, as I said before, the Supreme yeah. Court, meaning that Netanyahu now is in trial. According to the law, he can keep on being the prime minister. He can be even found guilty in the district court. Then he appeals. And only if he's being found guilty in the Supreme Court will he have to step down. That's the law. That's what the law says. By the way, in parentheses, I would say that Netanyahu himself, during Olmert's time, voted to change this legislation and to make it that if you are indicted, you have to step down. But uh, yeah. this, he pass. also said it in the Knesset. That's right. Maybe you can uh, show it. Uh, yeah. So it's not like uh, he didn't understand the problems with that. But, you know, uh, where you sit is where you stand, as we say in America. So I want to ask you the following. You said that he's actually taking steps in order to uh, maintain his ruler, and everything that he does is actually just for that. Can you give us some examples of things that are being done? And of course, uh, what do you think about them and what can be done in order to change them? So before I even go to the coronavirus uh, crisis, I will go to the Israeli uh, democratic crisis that started even before. First of all, in the last two years, we had three electoral cycles. Now, mind you, in Israel, usually you have the term of the Israeli Knesset is four years. The average is three and a half years. We never had something like that, that in one year you had three one terms year and a half, of election, three, yeah. three election, uh, three election systems. That happened only because two reasons. One, Netanyahu didn't get the majority he wanted. 
as we said before, he needs the 61. He never got in all those three. He always had only in the first one of those. He had a, yeah. a tie, and then he, he got less support. Unfortunately, the parties that were against him, that were elected by the agenda of toppling him, yeah. first of all, weren't able to form a coalition against him. In parentheses, again, I would say because of racism, because some elements emerged in the opposition party of blue and white said they would not go with the Arab uh, uh, list. And also Bennett. But Bennett uh, in the... No, Bennett was part of the... Of the yeah, Bennett was the one who he recommended Netanyahu. Yeah, so uh, eventually, after three cycles, the leading opposition party that came out of nowhere and got more seats than Netanyahu at one point and then almost the same seats as him, split, and half of it, including his challenger, the former chief of staff of the Israeli military, of the IDF, uh, Benny Gantz, Benny Gantz, joined him to become his minister of defense. And in at least according to the law, they changed the government law, I, I told yeah. you before, he's supposed to rotate with him as a prime minister in a year and a half from now. So the first craziness is the fact that we went to all these, to these elections. The, the only reason we went to these elections is because Netanyahu would rather Israel going to an election like throwing a game over and over the dice in order to perhaps getting a majority. He wasn't successful. Right. He ended up by splitting the, uh, his main threat. Now he has different threats. So that's, first of all, the democratic, very basic crisis we have. Of course, add to that an atmosphere where Netanyahu, his minister of justice, who is now the minister of police, many of his leading uh, uh, ministers and, and political allies constantly attacking the all basic elements of the Israeli democracy. First of all, those who are threatening him personally, as I said before. So first it was the police, which initiated the investigations against him. Of course, the news press and journalists who first exposed his wrongdoings, which led to those investigations. Then the attorney general. In Israel, the attorney general is not a political figure, but he was appointed by Netanyahu. By the way, this guy was before being the attorney general, he was the cabinet the minister. secretary, yeah. The closest nomination of Netanyahu. And once he indicted him, all of a sudden, by Netanyahu and his huge machine, propaganda became the enemy of Israel. And mind you, the attorney general in Israel has a lot of weight, but he's also, you know, uh, him and, and the uh, uh, general prosecution became under threats, only short of physical attacks. Any other you can imagine and now you can imagine because of Trump uh, you have there this is something which is unprecedented when Olmert Netanyahu's predecessor for instance he was very harsh towards his investigators and the prosecution and everything even the formal investigation started he stepped down from power that's also true for Prime Minister Rabin in 76 when he was uh, when there was charged with the he stepped down this is something that Netanyahu not only didn't he step down once there was an investigation, even after there is an indictment and an actual trial, he still clings to power. And by doing that, he's breaking the Israeli traditions. Again, you know that with Mitch McConnell, for instance, and the uh, Supreme Court, where once it's Obama, then he's a lame duck and he cannot nominate a, uh, a Supreme, Supreme Court uh, justice. Judge. And once it's uh, Trump and, and it's we're less than a month to the elections, it's okay to do it all of a sudden. When you break traditions, when you break the trust in the system right. than even if you have a constitution, then it's a problem. Uh, so you have this huge, very well-organized 
machinery that's working against the foundations of the Israeli democracy, as I said before, the judiciary, the press, of course, the minorities, because we have to delegitimize them. Because, as I said before, there is a majority against Netanyahu in the yeah. current Knesset, Right. But about quarter of it is of the uh, Arab representatives. So in order to make them... Yeah, the joint they list. ...say that they are traitors and terrorists and so on and so forth. So that's the atmosphere we've been living in in the last uh, couple of years. I mean, throughout the last decade, but the last couple of years went crazy. You also have, and that's something that the front is doing, you have some organizations uh, such as Intertsu and others who are non-profits. Non-profits. Get a lot of money, by the way. American money, to complete... From the Tikva Fund, I think, right? Tikva Fund and the, from uh, the, um, the Central Israel Fund and others. So, and, and that's one of our expertise in the Front for the Protection of Democracy is to monitor and to go to um, battle with those uh, organizations. So that's the atmosphere. Now, with the coronavirus, you add another layer to that situation. Again, something that many of our American uh, listeners mm-hmm. might relate to. First of all, the crisis started just after the uh, last election cycle, which was in March. That's when the uh, virus came to Israel and started spreading. Netanyahu, in the first round, between March and May, used the virus to bring us a very harsh, perhaps, by the way, necessary steps. I'm not talking about their necessity, but they were very harsh steps. And that was in the background of him trying to push his rivals to get into uh, the government under his leadership. Uh, as I said before, their main card was, we cannot serve under an indicted prime minister. Uh, yeah. Right, and he said, no, now it's a time of crisis. Uh, he had a lockdown for uh, over a month, and he was appearing every day. He talked about tens of thousands of people going to die. It was a huge pressure on them, and they broke. And by the way, because of the total shutdown, at that point, Israel was uh, doing well with casualties, and the effect of the uh, virus. Once he had this government, which was declared as a special uh, crisis uh, unity government that was designated to fight the health and financial uh, national crisis, then it was hands off. Netanyahu gave up on managing the uh, fight on coronavirus and started fighting again the judiciary. And you would have everyday attacks on the judiciary. At the same time, you had a growing discontent with the fact that of those voters who voted against Netanyahu and found that their votes went into his coalition and basically made him the prime minister, although he does not have a majority in the public or in the Knesset. And we started demonstrating. And you had weekly demonstrations. It started with some, I would even say elderly or at least um, retirees yeah. He started demonstrating who, uh, you know, and it was fascinating because during coronavirus, they took a risk, but, you know, they tried to keep the rules and everything, but they yeah, were willing if I, to... If I can so. say about it, they were actually interviewed to this podcast, if you're talking oh. about uh, Amir Askel and uh, Asaf Agmon, because they were interviewed to my podcast before. They actually appeared in our seventh episode, No Way, with Amir Askel and Asaf Agmon, and you're more than welcome to go back to this episode as well. And I now strongly recommend it. Amir Askel himself is a uh, brigadier uh, general uh, in the Israeli Air Force, retired, of course, yeah. in his uh, 70s, if I'm not mistaken. And he spent several months outside the prime minister's residence in Jerusalem. Just an amazing guy. And then, with this frustration, you had more and more young people going to Jerusalem, 
every week, every Saturday night, which is the equivalent, I would say, of Sunday night in, in the United States, the end of the weekend, demonstrating for hours in front of Netanyahu's residence in Jerusalem. Uri, I want to ask you something, because you were talking at the beginning about the separation of powers, you know, right. and that Israel has a parliamentary system. Right. So what is happening with the Knesset? I mean, and what can the Knesset do or cannot do? You know, because there are obviously some flaws in the system. If the Knesset, who is the one giving the powers to the government, is not basically doing its work as also being not only writing the laws, but also being the one supervising the government. And maybe the Knesset members are not doing enough? Listen, in Israel, because of the fact that the government is based on, you, you can't have a situation where you have a president from one party in, or even political camp and then Congress with another. You can't have the situation where Pelosi is from the Democrats and the uh, president is a, is a Republican. So throughout the years, there are less checks and balances between the Knesset and the executive branch. By the way, not only in Israel, in all parliamentary systems, it's like that because the government always has a majority in parliament because it's basing its rule on the fact that it has a constant majority in the parliament. And once it loses it, then we go to elections. Uh, whether the Knesset is doing its uh, job, look, I don't know. I know that now we're in the midst of the worst eruption of COVID-19. Corona. You don't have basic trust. First of all, about half of the population thinks that Netanyahu And rightly so, by the way, because Netanyahu, if you take the time that Netanyahu dedicated to passing regulations that would prevent the continuation of, of the virus. demonstrations oh, the demonstration. in front of his residence. Some sort of a you, virus also. <laughs> but if you compare that, if you compare the time that his uh, uh, energy on, yeah. and political weight and you name it, he put on stopping the demonstrations It's that right. are, I can't see they have no risk of the disease spreading, but it's a minor risk because it's an outdoor event. People are trying to keep the distance there. It's not the major reason. They do wear masks. Yeah. But if you compare it to the time and regulations, you put on, on actual right. places of eruption, for instance, the fact that he's a hostage of the Haredi ultra-Orthodox right. parties, he did not pass a regional lockdown, although most of the red... Areas, um, the red yeah. cities are actually ultra Haredi. His fault is told him you have to close down specific cities, regardless of who's living there. Just because you have an eruption there, he yeah, would not do that. Ronnie Gamzo. Ronnie Gamzo, there. exactly. And he would not shut down the synagogues, although it was clear, or the uh, schools of the Haredi, um, the seminars of the Haredi uh, population, although it was clear that there's crazy eruption there. Just for to understand, 40% of the cases of corona in the last month are from Haredis, although the Haredis themselves are only 10% of the Israeli population. So you have their mm-hmm. crazy eruption, but because he needs them for his majority and his plans to change the law and to avoid being tried in a criminal uh, case, he did not deal with that. He only dealt with the demonstrations, which is crazy. And, and by the way, mm-hmm. using horrible terms, calling them anarchists, right. so they're a high commander, The Israeli uh, Air Force is all, all of a sudden an anarchist, called them um, disease spreaders and so on, and to his allies, who unfortunately are really disease uh, spreaders from various reasons. Not, I would not use those terms, but in reality they are. He even reached out to them or tried to stop that. He actually so, apologized last week, I think, to Rabbi Kanievsky, and that was a couple of days before he also got the COVID-19. Exactly. And not only crazy. that, I think that the law enforcement in Israel is much harder where the protesters are 
and not uh, in the ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods and cities where they continue the religious tradition. I'm not sure I agree there. The police itself is a unique situation. On the one hand, I think that they are overdoing the uh, protests against Netanyahu, and one of the reasons is the Minister of Police is one of Netanyahu's worst messengers, yeah. Mirohana, who is worst not shy. Worst or best, depends uh, on what side of the political map are you. <laughs> uh, right, but he's, he's just awful. I mean, he would, on the one hand, attack the police as conspiracies against Netanyahu, against Netanyahu. Uh, investigating it, on the other hand, calling them to break the bones. He did not use that term, okay, but yeah. very harsh with the demonstrators uh, against Netanyahu and hailing them as a beacon of uh, law and order. I don't completely agree with you because I think they're very harsh with Haredis, as they always are. And the Israeli police is very problematic for years, using uh, too much uh, violence, much like in the United States, against Haredis, against Arabs, of course, against all the, uh, I would say, communities that are not in power in Israel are, are getting more... No, but, uh... What I meant was about the law enforcement of the quarantine. I mean, uh, there are some photos from uh, a couple of days ago when they do enter the Haredim areas right. and uh, getting into clashes with the uh, protesters. But in right. overall, what I was referring is that, uh, you know, throughout uh, Yom Kippur and uh, Rosh Hashanah and uh, now in Sukkot, where you have big gatherings because it's a religious tradition. You know, it's a religious, I would say, uh, obligation that the police itself doesn't say anything about that. I mean, that was what I was referring. I wasn't trying to say that when they are clashing with the Haredim, they are much softer with them. I was referring that they are not exactly trying to engage with the Haredim on a higher level. No, I agree. You know, there were horrible uh, footage of policemen, uh, you know, beating up kids basically Haredi kids, and also yeah. uh, beating um, uh, Israeli uh, uh, pensioners. So, you know, the, the police is problematic in that sense. In all yeah, unfortunately. So you now have a situation where you don't have trust in the Israeli public in many elements. Now the Haredis are also uh, losing uh, faith in this government. The, um, do you really think that the Haredim are losing faith in the government? I mean, yes, definitely. Do you I'm really sure think they that they're going to go, that eventually the Shas and Aguda, the ultra-Orthodox parties, will go against Netanyahu? I did not say that. But uh, you're talking I, about the street. Know, I'm talking about the street. And I mean, it's not like they're detached from the street. And by the way, I don't think it will go necessarily to a good direction politically. Just saying that the government right now, whatever it does, many people think that it's Netanyahu's decisions are influenced by his own personal agenda, meaning getting a free card from jail. And again, as a person, I can relate to that, but that's the problem with having an indicted prime minister, regardless, even if there is a conspiracy against him, like his followers say. I don't think so. I think in a healthy country, in a healthy democracy, even the most minor offenses he was indicted for, which is getting cigars and champagne in the amount of 200,000 American uh, dollars, dollars, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that, or shekels, don't get me wrong. But no, in dollars, case, you're then, right. Yeah, exactly. So getting so much from a beneficiary, even for that, in a healthy democracy, has to step down. Not to mention the fact that apparently he was negotiating with the publisher of a main Israeli news website, who was also the um, owner of the Israel uh, Telecom, uh, Telecom company. company getting free tickets on billions of shekels in order to get positive coverage, coverage. In, uh, on, Media on this coverage, website. Yes. That's a bribery. So I completely think that Netanyahu is guilty and will end up as being uh, found guilty. And I think he knows that. That's why he does everything in order to change the law, in order to get a free ticket from, from the trial itself. 
But even if there is a conspiracy, like his followers say, like he says, it's all political conspiracy against the good old Netanyahu and the people that he nominated as the chief of police and the attorney general are all conspired with him. I don't know why or, or anything like that. They come from him. He appointed them. Both of them are religious, by the way, Orthodox Jews. Even if that's the case, you cannot be in that situation where you have such a black cloud above your head. You are truly thinking about your own destiny and you need to make decisions for the good of whole people. You, you just so, can't do it. It's not human. So I really want to ask you, I mean, uh, we're talking almost for uh, 45 minutes now. So our time is getting shorter, even though I really enjoy talking to you. But Me I really too. want to ask you, as the founder of The Front, okay, with its agenda, what do you think is going to happen in the near future? And what do you think will happen in Israeli democracy, you know, when there is an obvious uh, ongoing attempts to weaken the parliament, to weaken the Knesset, to weaken the Supreme Court and the legislature, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Then the... What are the steps that can be taken in order to stop it or to prevent it? Well, I would it? say the following. First of all, the most important milestone is November 3rd, and it's your election or the election in the United States. I think once Trump, Daniel's biggest uh, beneficiary, political ally, and a champion of his style, if and when he will be toppled, will be elected out of the White House, that would have an enormous effect here in Israel because the Israeli right kind of become... a branch of the American alt-right and the uh, MAGA-style uh, Republicans. So in that sense, that will be a huge step forward. Now, with Israel, it's very hard to say. I do believe that Netanyahu, in the, the end of his uh, political career, yeah. uh, the way he's handling the coronavirus, you see it in the polls, he's dropping, he's losing votes every day. Unfortunately, he's losing it, by the way, the leader of the Yamina party, uh, Naftali Bennett, a more right-wing party, but someone who said, I'm now checking in all of my other agenda and I'm only focusing on how to handle the coronavirus. A very smart political uh, thing to do, but also something that people can relate to, much like when Biden is yeah. talking about now, it's focused on the crisis and, you know, it's a serious crisis. People feel it in their pockets and in their um, health. As an example, last night you had a, a poll here in the uh, Channel 12 uh, News uh, published, where Netanyahu and Bennett, the leader of the party, are almost the same in their um, representation. And mind you, now Netanyahu leads a party of 36 seats and Bennett a party of five seats. So from 36 today, Netanyahu dropped to 26 in the polls and Bennett from five went up to 23, yeah. which is crazy. So also, I think politically, people more and more, although many of them are right-wingers who support uh, the right-wing agenda, feel that Netanyahu can no longer stay in power. But now we're talking about someone who's very shrewd in his politics. He knows how to maneuver the political system. He's by far the most experienced politician we have now. Definitely. Very talented and very eager to do whatever needed, as I said before, because he's, he's trying to uh, save his ass. Excuse my uh, French. So I don't know how long it would take. It needs... Unlike the leaders of Blue and White and Benny Gantz, who are in the best scenario, were naive, and some of them maybe even mean, you know, you need to have a, a strong backbone and to understand that you cannot ally with Netanyahu. You have to topple him. That's Israel's top national political oh, agenda because the guy is not about running the country, but rather saving his own neck. And then I don't know what would emerge. Perhaps it would be Bennett. Perhaps it would be a, a different unity, a real unity government between right and left. I'm basically a progressive. 
I hope there would be here a progressive government. Should I tell you that I'm optimistic, optimistic. That, <laughs> that it's going to happen? Uh, perhaps not. But I do think that toppling Netanyahu is a top priority. Hopefully, you know, it will change. For, once Netanyahu is gone, also there will be some kind of, I hope, of healing of the Israeli system. Society. The Israeli society, exactly. Much like in the United States. Because right now, your whole agenda is whether you are with or against Netanyahu. And nobody has the patience, time, or energy to speak about anything else. And we have so many problems here. So that's my... Uh, Sounds familiar, uh, yeah, exactly. like in the US. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, it was really enlightening to speak to you. And I want to ask you one last thing before we end up. Do you see a situation that actually Bennett, who until recently, you know, was afraid to go against the base and to face directly against Netanyahu, will try to form a different coalition? You know, if they go to election and let's say that he gets 23 seats, we don't know because he was always great at the polls, but when That's it true. came to real time, he got a lot less mandates. Do you really see a situation that, uh, let's say, Netanyahu gets 26 mandates and Bennett 23 or something, Bennett will try to form a different coalition without Netanyahu? If I would have been his advisor, if I truly wanted working for what's the best scenario for him, he has to. I mean, in order to uh, become a real threat on becoming Israel's leader, he has to detach himself from the Netanyahu fate and the fact that each time, you know, it was crazy. At one point in the last three cycles, in last year, they all signed, all the leaders of the different parties signed a swear of allegiance yes. to the leader. To the leader. <laughs> it's almost crazy. Like in, almost like in North Korea. Yes, exactly <laughs> like North Korea. So, you know, Bennett, he's in a good position now. As you say, it's, there are no elections right now. But I would also add, Netanyahu now is in a tricky position because... In order to avoid the rotation I mentioned before with guns, he has to find an excuse for an election. He has a very narrow situation to do that. And that's uh, through not passing the uh, national uh, budget. And that happens in December. But he knows that at least now he's in horrible position in the polls. Many say, by the way, that he forced a new lockdown in order to drop the uh, numbers of dead and, and so on and so forth in order to reach December with a better uh, situation health-wise. Yeah. But I would say that the financial situation and the job market, everything, I don't see things get uh, you know, significantly improved by December. So I think uh, maybe he's in a real dilemma, Netanyahu. And, and Bennett should not be in a dilemma. Bennett should say, I want elections. And if there are elections, to say I'm nominating myself, I would not serve under Netanyahu or under anyone else. I'm doing my own thing. So you're saying that that's his time to try and prime to lead the, the right-wing... The right -wing, yes. uh, not that I'm eager that it would happen. I, I hope that uh, someone like the mayor of Tel Aviv, for instance, or Huldai, who's a, an amazing person and also progressive, would become the, the prime minister or someone like that. But if I were... Bennett's uh, advisor, that's what I would have advised him. Awesome. Well, I really want to thank you for joining me today, and I'm sure that we're going to have some more episodes in the future discussing the Israeli democracy and the Israeli political system. Any last sentence that you want to tell uh, our audience today about... The, the executioner. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just... Go out and vote, uh, especially those uh, who are not in New York City, but rather in the uh, swing states. Yes. Yeah. You can't believe just how important it is. 
We're less than a month away. Go and vote. That's my message. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Uh, so thank you, Uri, for uh, joining us today. And thank you all for listening. And uh, we're looking forward to be with you soon in another episode of Balagan. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now and have a great day.